you remain standing now as we read God's word together, uh, these words um, from the Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, chapter 18, verses 14 through 18, this exchange between Moses and his father-in-law Jethro. Let us read these words together. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been talking uh, for several weeks now um, in this sermon series called One Church about the many new opportunities we have uh, here at Acts 2. Um, we have uh, several new opportunities that are coming, and we've been talking about these for several weeks. This is the actually end of our sermon series uh, titled One Church. Um, and if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Um, we're going to be talking about one particular uh, new opportunity that we believe God has placed before us, and that is we believe that God is calling us to start a new church, uh, to actually start a new church within Acts 2, and the name of that church will be One Church. Um, we believe this is what God has placed before us, and we've been actually talking about this for several weeks, and, um, and, and you've heard me talk about uh, the vision we believe that God has called us to, and uh, it's a very exciting thing, and, and something about which I speak with a lot of passion, and as we've been talking for a few weeks now about this new thing, um, we've gotten a, a few questions uh, about that. And so um, we're going to spend a little bit of time, if, if you'll just indulge me for a little bit, uh, talking about those questions uh, and, and maybe uh, their answers. Um, one of the questions was, where does the name come from? Uh, one church comes from the uh, book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this, that there is one body and one spirit, uh, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Um, so some of the other questions are things like why, um, right? We are a church right here. Um, we can reach new people, and, and, and it seems like a legitimate question, and, and, and I understand kind of the concern. Um, we might spread ourselves too thin or, or something else, um, but the question comes is why? Um, and the basic answer is that new things reach new people. Uh, this is what we know um, from uh, other people who have written books on church statistics and those kind of things, that new things reach new people, particularly new churches reach new people, and we have new people just right next door to us. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, Edmond is booming, especially West Edmond and Deer, Deer Creek, uh, and that includes the neighborhoods just right around us. Um, maybe you've seen this graphic before, but these are the neighborhoods that are right around us that we're not reaching very well. Um, there's Valencia down at 2nd and Penn. Actually, my, my family and I live there. Uh, just north of us on Penn are the Point Apartment, uh, the new apartment complex. Um, it's been there for just a little while. La Sonata is north of that. Scissor Tail Landing and Settlers Crossing. These are the neighborhoods that are right around us, um, neighborhoods that we should be reaching very well, but we're currently not doing it. And so this is our effort, our new thing to reach new people, uh, and, and we believe that God is calling us to do it. Now, some other questions include uh, when, where, and who, right? Maybe just a combination. Uh, the shorter answer is Frontier Elementary, February 2017, and, uh, 2017 and me. Um, 
So uh, we're going to launch at Frontier Elementary. Uh, in case you don't know, uh, that's the elementary school just right next door. Uh, here, here's a picture of it with elementary at the south and uh, Axu at the north. And of course, there's a handy little drive that goes right between us. Um, and so this is where we're going to be launching, uh, mainly because we don't have the space here. Uh, if you've ever been here on Sunday, uh, you know uh, the sanctuary um, is pretty full, but what's even more full than this is the chapel, the original sanctuary of the church, which is full of children on Sunday, actually just packed out of children. And we have several meetings as a staff trying to figure out where we're going to put everybody. And so if we're going to start something new, we know we can't do it here, we can't do it on campus, and so we're going to do it the next best place, and that's right next door. Uh, at Frontier Elementary in the cafetorium there. Um, and we're going to do that. We're going to launch in February of 2017, and I'll be the lead pastor uh, of one church. I'll still be on staff here at Acts 2. Uh, Reverend Mark Foster, our founding pastor, um, will still be my supervisor. Um, he'll still be here, and I'll still be here on staff. Um, but I'll be, uh, my main responsibility will be uh, this new one church. Uh, the question then is about leadership, right? Who is going to lead this thing? What is uh, the leadership of one church particularly going to look like? Uh, the truth is it's going to be the same as Acts 2's, um, because in, in all reality, it is still one church, right? It's still Acts 2 and one church. It's a combination. It's one church together. So we're going to have one administrative council. Um, that's uh, the administrative council of the church that help, the council that helps make decisions for the church. There'll still be one of those. One uh, staff parish relations committee, uh, one finance department, one children's department, one youth department. It'll all be the same, uh, the same leadership as here at Acts 2. Um, the question might come about funding, right? What is that going to look like? And, and the answer is varied. Um, actually, after several meetings and proposals and presentations, um, the Oklahoma United Methodist Conference, or the OKUMC, has actually proposed to help support this new thing uh, for uh, the next three years. And we are incredibly blessed and fortunate uh, to be supported by our conference over the entire state of Oklahoma, of all the United Methodist churches. They have bought into this. They agree that this is something that God is calling us to do, and so they have helped um, they have agreed to help support us for the next three years. Uh, this thing will reach out to new people. Uh, and so eventually, uh, new people will help support this new thing. And, uh, and then, of course, Acts 2 will help uh, support this as well. Uh, so that's what we're be looking at. And then uh, another question is programming. Uh, what is programming going to look like at a new church, um, at a place that doesn't necessarily have its own building? Um, and so the answer is kind of varied as well. On Sundays, what we know is that children and youth will be at Frontier. Um, and so um, one church's children and youth, whenever they worship over there, they will have children's programming similar to the way we have it here. They will probably have a children's moment, and then the kids will be taken just across the hall to the gymnasium, or they'll have uh, children's programming there, and we'll have nursery there as well, uh, mainly because we know that new parents don't want to ship their kids all the way up uh, to another building so that they can drive, you know, half a mile down the road. Um, and so we'll have children and uh, nursery programming um, over at one church at the Frontier Elementary School. Um, and then one church as a community will be encouraged to participate in Wednesday evening um, Bible study and Crew 042 and Club 45 and youth and all of those things one church will still be encouraged to participate in. In the same way that uh, Friday night is encouraged to participate in on Wednesday night along with Sunday morning at 9.15 and 10.45. All of that will continue to be one church, one body, and we will do that all together. And as we've been talking uh, for several weeks about this new opportunity and this new thing that we believe God has called us to do, I, I have had some people ask, well, how can I help? What, what can, can I do? Uh, and, and to get at this answer, to talk a little bit more about this, we need to look at the scripture, uh, what we read just a little while earlier. 
Uh, we read out of the book of Exodus, and in the story of Exodus is the story of the liberation of God's people, uh, the Hebrews, out of slavery in Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt for over 300 years until God called Moses to liberate them out of the hand of Pharaoh. And they spent time wandering in the desert, and it's in this time that, that Moses tries to establish order for the people. So that now they are no longer just this wandering people. They're no longer just this tribal people who have no loose configuration of rules. But now Moses is there to establish order and, and to actually establish law for the first time for this people. And, and so Moses is there doing it and, and Jethro comes upon him, his, his father-in-law that he met in Midian, uh, whose wife he met in Midian. And, he, and uh, Jethro says this to Moses, it says, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around from morning until evening? Moses says, because the people have come to me to inquire of God. They've come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Right? What we learn is that Moses is the judge for the people. But Moses isn't just some kind of judge like we would know today. Moses isn't just a judge that, that decides what is law or maybe even what is moral. And in fact, Moses is in charge of giving God's law to the people. Moses is in charge of giving God's word to the people. And, and this is an incredibly important task. Moses is in charge. Most people believe that at this time there were two million Hebrews that he is traveling with two million people, that he's in charge with establishing God's law and order. And, and, and he's funneling it all to himself because it's so important. He doesn't want to see somebody else mess it up. Now what Moses learned is maybe what we know is true as well, is that the more important the job, the more closely we hold it. Right? Maybe you've experienced this at, at, in your job or elsewhere. Whenever somebody gives you a really important task, make sure this gets done. Make sure it doesn't get done wrong. It gets done in the right way. This is your task. You want to make sure that you're the only one who does it. Right? And maybe you're less likely to let anybody else help. You know, somebody might come along and say, well, how can I help you with that? No, 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 I got it. You know, no, 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 don't, don't, don't mess it up. Just, just stand over there and just let me do it. Right? Maybe you've experienced this. Uh, my uh, uh, youngest son is uh, almost five months old now. Uh, and whenever he was born, um, our, um, our hospital room looked a little bit like this. Um, you can see there's a mom and, and big sister, and then like the whole family just like lined up over there, right? All the family and friends. And uh, and it was this kind of interesting thing, right, where like everybody wants to hold and help with Elijah, you know? And, and there's this tendency in me to be like, you know, uh, uh, not to see people just like very germs, right? Like all of you are just one infection after another, and I love you. But really, I mean, we're all just, you know, we've got stuff on our hands. And, and there's this tendency to say that, you know, nobody can, can help with this newborn baby. You know, no, no, I, I, I have to make sure that, you know, Elijah lives, right? Like, that's my responsibility from now on. And, and, and if I'm going to be in charge of it, then, then there's this tendency to say that nobody can touch him. Nobody can hold him. Right? Maybe you experience this as a, as a new parent. 
But if we were to live life this way, if I was to live life this way, I would be incredibly exhausted. I mean, I am. But I would be even more exhausted than I am right now. Because it would just be me and, and, and my wife, Melissa. It would just be us that were able to do this thing. Instead, we've included other people to help us. To love us and Elijah and Anna. We've included other people to help. And it's been an incredible blessing. And this is what Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, knew. Whenever he instructed Moses, he says, what you are doing is not good, for you will surely wear yourself out. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you cannot do it alone? There are many things in our lives that we want to do alone. We want to deal with our problems alone. We don't want to tell anybody else about them. And in fact, if we could keep other people as far away from our problems as possible, that, you know, that would be better. And actually, I can, I can deal with this myself. And the problem persists, and it keeps going, and it gets worse. Until finally, we learn what Jethro told Moses, that we cannot do it alone. when it comes to anger or frustration, when it comes to work or to family, when it comes to all of those things in our life, God calls us not to be alone. To actually live in community with one another. To live as people of faith who come together, not just one day a week, but live in community that we would never have to do anything alone. Have you learned yet that you cannot do it alone? And will you allow others to help? When I was in seminary and uh, serving a previous church, I, I learned how to do things alone really well. You know, I, I read books alone, I wrote papers alone, and I served in ministry almost as a silo, almost alone. I was an associate pastor at the time, and there were many responsibilities that were just mine. You know, make sure these things get done. And, and what I really enjoyed doing them, what I really enjoyed was, was doing them alone, doing them by myself, mostly so that when anybody asked, hey, who did that? I could say me, right? It, it was me. And they'd say, who helped you? No, no, nobody helped me. It was just me. And I got really good at this kind of ministry, just at this kind of siloed ministry, uh, and so I, I graduated seminary. I um, was reappointed to a different church. I was actually appointed here to Acts 2. And, and I remember so distinctively, I was appointed in the summer, and it was in that fall whenever uh, I was moving chairs. Uh, when our fall programming started, we started a disciple Bible study, and we had a group that met here in the sanctuary, and then we had a group that actually met out in the gathering space. And so that meant that every Wednesday we had to make sure that chairs were out in the gathering space for this group. These chairs here had to be out there along with the table. And it was my job to ensure that chairs and a table got out there. 
And so it soon turned into a task that about, you know, three o'clock every Wednesday, um, I would come out into the sanctuary, and I would stack chairs, and I would load them on a dolly, and I would roll them out in the gathering space, and I would unload them, and then I would come back and get a table, and I would carry out the table, and I would put it out. And I did this week after week for several weeks until finally uh, our, our founding pastor, Mark Foster, caught me. He said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing what you told me to do, right? Uh, I'm moving these chairs. I'm making sure that these chairs in here get out there. I'm making sure that this table is here and it's all in the right space. And I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And Mark said, no. He said, in fact, you're supposed to include other people in this. He said, in fact, you're never supposed to be stacking chairs alone. You're never supposed to be moving tables alone. You're, in fact, supposed to be including other people in it. What Mark taught me was this. Do not cheat others out of an opportunity to serve God. It can seem as menial as moving chairs and moving tables, or it can be something as important as visiting those who are sick in the hospital or as taking donations to the Hope Center that anytime we do anything we are called to do it in community to do it with one another because the job is too important for us to do it alone we will surely wear ourselves out and it could seem something so menial as moving chairs and, and moving tables, but in reality, it's actually bringing the kingdom of God to this place. In everything that we do, every menial task that we have is actually bringing God's kingdom here. And if we viewed it with that kind of severity, with that kind of intensity, then we might live lives that God is actually calling us to live. Because if we live life alone, if we do things by ourselves for the rest of our lives, we will wear ourselves out. And we will come to know what the early uh, Christians, we call them the, the desert fathers and mothers, um, what these early Christians called acedia. Acedia is this experience of spiritual dryness, soul weariness, and loss of passion. That whenever we do things by ourselves, when we do things alone, we lose passion. And, and something happens to us when we lose our passion. Because I believe this. I believe Christians without passion are not that Christian. That we are people who have found new life in Jesus Christ. We are people who have found new life in Jesus Christ, and that should give us some kind of passion. We should be some kind of happy about that. And we should share that with other people. Because we are called to live life with passion. That in fact, if we had the same passion as we do about some other things in life, then as we did about the Christian faith, then, then our lives would look a little different. I don't know about you, but I recently discovered Pokemon Go this week. Now, if we lived with that kind of passion, right? If we walked around the neighborhood and, and, you know, asked other people if they had found Jesus, I think our lives would look a little different. That, that we are called to live with passion, friends. And if, in fact, we lose that, others might look at us and not know that we're Christian because we don't have that kind of passion. There's a story by... Uh, 
the writer Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he explains about one time coming into a country church. It was in the dead of winter, and he finds himself in the middle of this church through an exceptionally long sermon. And he describes sitting in this small country church, listening to this long sermon, while he could see throughout the back of the chancel there was a window. A window he could see clear through, and there was this brilliant snowstorm happening right outside the window. And, and these large snowflakes were coming down, and the wind was swirling, and it was making this beautiful image behind this preacher. And Ralph Waldo Emerson assessed that this man had lost his passion. In fact, he later writes about this preacher. He says, if he had lived, he gave us no proof of it. If he had lived, he gave us no proof of it. Friends, do we live with the kind of passion? With the kind of passion that, that does not just burn out with just us. Whenever we do ministry as just me, we will surely burn out. But if we do it with one another, we will find that passion, friends. That others will look at us and know that we live. We have that kind of passion to include others in our ministry, to include others in the work that we are doing right now. Moses is instructed to include others in it because if he doesn't, he will wear out not only himself but others who are with him because people don't want to be around unhappy people. I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but other people don't like grumpy people. In fact, they try to stay away from them. And, and so Jethro tells Moses, include other people in this work so that you won't just wear yourself out, you'll wear everyone else out. He said, include other people in this work. But he also gives some advice about who those people should be. Jethro says this to Moses. He says, listen to me, I will give you counsel and God be with you. He said, you should represent the people before God and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. But Mo, uh, Jethro also said, you should also look for able men. At the time only men were allowed in this work. He said, you should look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And Jethro tells Moses, include other people in the work. He said, but there are some kind of guidelines for those people. There, there are some kind of guidelines of the people who can help in this new work, in this new ministry. Uh, Moses will later establish the priestly system. Uh, he will include uh, family with him and to help with this work, to establish this kind of law and order and this kind of judicial system. Uh, but he made sure that there were guidelines in a new work. And, and I think as we consider how we can help um, in a new work here at Acts 2, how we can help with one church, I, I think these are kind of helpful guidelines to look for in, in people who, who might consider helping with this new thing. I think one of the guidelines is margin. Do we have the kind of margin in our lives, the kind of space in our lives, to be able to take something on? Uh, because the truth is you probably can't add starting a new church to your schedule right now. 
All of us have very busy lives. All of us have things that we are doing right now uh, that we need to actually be able to create some margin so that we can make something else a priority in our lives. And, you know, do you have some margin? I think another guideline is, is a heart for the people. Moses wouldn't have chose somebody who didn't like the Hebrews, right? He wouldn't have chose somebody who didn't like the people he was being judged for. And, and, and I think the same thing is true for a new church, that, that we should consider, you know, do we have a heart for these people in these neighborhoods? And the people of Valencia and, and the Point Apartments all the way up to Settlers Crossing. And do you have a heart for people who don't know Jesus? It's a very important question. And an even better question is, do people who not know Jesus like you? Right? I mean, that's important. They, they, people who don't know Jesus should like you. And, 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 you know, maybe you talk about Jesus a little bit too much, but maybe they put up with you anyways. Right? Do you have a heart for the people? I think another important piece, especially for um, Moses, was, you know, did they honor the leadership? Jethro establishes this order, and he says, clearly, it's, you know, God to you and to everyone else. And, and that's the way it was in the time, right? And, and so it's very important that the people of the judicial system that would honor Moses. And I think the same thing is true for a new church. Uh, there are going to be times whenever there are disputes. And, you know, just, there just always is. We're all people. Um, but eventually a decision will be made. And, and I think what's really important, especially for a new community of faith, is if there's a dispute, if people are divided, you know, maybe 60, 40, and finally a decision gets made, that that new church can move together as one people, that they can move together with 100% passion and trust that this was the right thing to do. Even if they disagreed with it a little bit, even if they thought, you know, maybe we should have done something else, but this was the decision, and so they move ahead with it. I think another important piece of this is is to lead where needed, or maybe even volunteer, or or do these kind of of things. Where are your gifts and your passions, and and can you lead into those? Can you offer leadership for that? And then finally, to remember that this is all God's work. We're not controlling outcomes in this new church, and Moses wasn't controlling outcomes when he was the judge, when he was establishing other people to lead. Uh, This is all God's work. And and that's good news, that we don't have to control those kind of outcomes. Um, Paul writes the the church in Corinth um, about planting. He says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. And and I think that's great news. uh, That, especially I've noticed as I've already gone out into the community, I've I, I've done a little bit of walking neighborhoods um, with my, um, my three-year-old daughter, Anna. She and I have gone uh, door-to-door, just kind of knocking and talking to people. I'm inviting them over to our house for dinner. Um, and, and, and what I can get really frustrated about is, is not meeting enough people. You know, knocking on doors and people not answering, or people not being receptive, or, or you know, somebody agreeing to do something and then they don't do it. And, and, and that can kind of frustrate me until I realize that, you know, this is all God's work. My job is to go there, to knock on doors, to talk to people, to do what I can, and let God do the rest. It's very important work to remember. That as we go out, as we meet people, our job is to meet them, to love them, to talk to them. And let God do the rest. And so your action steps for this week are to pray. Maybe about these guidelines. Um, You know, Talk to God about, you know, does this match me? Uh, is this something I am called to? Um, and if it is, great. And if not, that's great too. Um, 
So I would encourage you to pray about this and then talk with me about it, especially if you feel like this is something you're called to do. I pray that you uh, would, would talk to me about it. And you know what? If it's not something that you feel like you're called to do, talk to somebody else about it. So you know what? We, we heard these guidelines, these things that, you know, they're looking for to help start this new church. You know, maybe that's you. You know, is there something I can do with you? You know, can I continue to pray with you about that? That this thing is only going to work if we as a community of faith pray intentionally about this. Because in the end, this is God's work, and I believe it's God's plan for our community to bring people together as one community of faith. As I said earlier, um, Melissa and I and, and a few others have um, gone out and kind of walked our neighborhood and started talking and meeting new people, and, and what we realize is that people are awfully secluded. There's a lot of people in our neighborhoods that are alone. And what's more than that is, is they're almost happy that way. That, that I've walked neighborhoods, I've knocked on people's doors, I even knocked on a, on a person's door who wasn't um, you know, much younger than I was. And, and, and when he came to the door, it was clear that he was really nervous and he had his, had his phone out in, in front of him as I was talking to him. And finally, I stopped and said, you know what, are, are you on a call? Do you need me to wait? And, and I realized it was his wife on the phone. On, on speaker, and, and, and so I guess she was listening to the conversation to make sure nothing kind of tricky happened, and so finally he hung up the phone and, and you know, listened to the rest of what I had to say and, until finally, you know, I, I ended and said it was nice to meet you, and I leaned forward to shake his hand, and, and when I shook his hand, I noticed that he had a can of mace next to his door frame. This person was in, incredibly scared and nervous and alone that somebody would come to their door, that somebody would come and talk to them. As Melissa and I walked neighborhoods, we, we walked several houses of people who uh, were nervous and wary of what we were doing. And, and then we came to a couple's house. I knocked on the door and a man answered with his young daughter in his arms. His name was Siva. He and his wife had recently moved from India to Valencia. And as I met Siva and introduced my family, his, his daughter wiggled a little bit, and I noticed she had a bib on. He explained that they were in the middle of feeding, and he asked if we would come in his home. It was the first time we were invited into a house. He invited us in and told us to sit in the living room as he picked up the things and, and moved uh, his daughter and the seat into the living room. A little bit later, his wife came in the garage and she sat down next to Melissa. And they talked about Siva's wife's master's program as she was studying to become a computer technician. My guess is that in our world today where people fear other people, Siva doesn't, and his family don't have a lot of community that they might feel a little alone where they are. And my guess is this isn't just true for Siva, but it's in fact true for many different people. And that's why we are starting a church.